Thank you for joining us this morning at Highland Crest. We appreciate you being online for Highland Crest Live. In recent weeks, we've been working through a series of messages around the coronavirus. One of the side effects that we've experienced under these days of quarantine is loneliness. And I'm looking forward to bringing a message a little bit later on how a man in the Bible named Jeremiah dealt with his loneliness and how God worked good from that. It's our prayer today that you would be encouraged. Encouraged to be able to sing along with us, to be able to pray together, as well as to hear and respond to God's Word. Would you join me in prayer as we begin our service together? Father, I thank you for calling us together, maybe not in person, but all around our county and around our state, to be able to worship you. And I pray, while it might be a little awkward for us to sing and looking at the TV or a monitor or a device, that you would still receive this worship. And I pray that hearts would be encouraged and that lives would be blessed, and that you would be honored as a result of our service today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of the Bible, feel free to turn with me or go to your your mobile device to the book of Jeremiah. We'll look at chapter 1 as we look through a good portion of this book together this morning. On Monday of the New York Times this week, I came across an article by Julie Halpert. Let me just read the first few paragraphs of it. Afia Mensa, age 39, has lived alone for 16 years. For nine of those years, she taught at Oberlin College in rural Ohio, where she had a limited social network. Last August, she moved to New Jersey to become director of Princeton University's Presidential Scholars Program. She said she was finally hitting her social stride, reconnecting with Oberlin alumni and family members in the area, and routinely hopping on the train to attend events in the neighboring cities. But then the coronavirus hit, and it brought her feelings of isolation into sharp focus. Afia is quoted as saying, The moments that are most difficult are when I think about not knowing when I'll be able to touch another human being again, end quote, she said. As someone with no pets, no partner, not even a plant, she said she felt profoundly lonely, quote, sometimes I feel like I'm disappearing, end quote, she said. Loneliness is not something that has just come upon our scene here during the last 60 days. According to a survey done this year in January by Cigna, of those adults ages 18 and older polled, 61% said that they would identify as being lonely. That's up seven points from 2018. What is loneliness? A great Bible teacher named Adrian Rogers said loneliness is this. Loneliness is a painful sense of being unwanted, 
unneeded, uncared for, maybe even unnecessary. Let me read that to you again. Loneliness is a painful sense of being unwanted, unneeded, uncared for, maybe even unnecessary. Rogers would go on to say that there are around six underlying causes to loneliness. If you want, you can jot these in your little outline off to the side. Let me give you these. One is past rejections. You may have been rejected in the past, and now you're afraid to try again. Another cause for loneliness is insecurity. In your mind, you may feel unworthy to be accepted, so you won't reach out to other people. A third cause for loneliness is grief. If you've experienced grief, you may feel like no one understands how badly you hurt. You close up, drop out, hunker down, and live a lonely life of isolation. Sin-centeredness, or rather self-centeredness, also contributes to loneliness. You may be all wrapped up inside yourselves. You live in a bubble of pride and self-centeredness. The fifth is a sinful lifestyle. Sin builds walls. Cain murdered his brother Abel and went into hiding. But the Lord found him. The sixth is something that we've observed in recent days. It's this depersonalization of society. There was a time where we would go down to the hardware store, the grocery store, the restaurant, and we would know one another. We would have relationships. Now, we just order online. If Rogers were still alive today, he would offer a seventh reason for loneliness, and it could be a pandemic. It could be that there's this accumulative effect of being under a quarantine, and you're used to physical touch of just embracing or a handshake, and you are awaiting, when will I be able to get out and meet with people again? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was out going for a walk in the afternoon praying and thinking through a message when I saw a neighbor with this really cool labradoodle dog. And as she was walking into her house after a walk, I said, hey, how are you holding up? To which she replied, I am sick of this. And Maybe you can identify with that. Well, around 2,600 years ago, there was a man named Jeremiah who was confronted with loneliness. I don't know about you, but I love biographies. And what I'd like to do today is just offer a brief biography as we cover this 52-chapter Old Testament prophet. As we look here at Jeremiah chapter 1, we understand that he lived around 627 to 582 B.C., before Christ. He was a prophet. His responsibility was to take the Word of God and to proclaim it to the people, whether they agreed with it or liked it or not. By way of background, let's read the first three verses of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were with Anath in the land of Benjamin to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. And under the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Jerusalem lived in, or rather, Jeremiah lived in Jerusalem. 
He lived during a time of three different kings. The first of them was Josiah. He was a good king. He desired to bring all the people back to the ways of God. But the two kings that followed Josiah were very bad. In fact, this would lead to Jerusalem being overtaken by the Babylonians and the walls would crumble and the temple would be torn down as well. Jeremiah was the preacher during that time. We see here in chapter 1, verse 1, that Jeremiah was the son of a man in the ministry. He was the son of the priest. What I'd like to do in the time I have with you today is just to look at five different chapters or maybe five different themes throughout the life of Jeremiah. So first is that of his calling. You see that in your outline, his calling. And to read about his calling, let's just follow along in chapter 1, picking it up in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. When was Jeremiah called to the ministry? Even before he was born. Look with me at verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. It is estimated that Jeremiah was around 20 years old when his ministry began. Look with me at verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send, you shall go. And whatever I command, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. We see in this calling that Jeremiah would be sent to people who would be older than him, more experienced to him, but he would speak the words that God put on his mouth. And what was the essence of that message? J. Vernon McGee said, as he's, as he's done a survey throughout the book of Jeremiah, he has saw the word backslidden 13 times. And he said, that is a the theme of Jeremiah. That at one time, God's people were close to him, but now they are straying. It certainly could be the main theme, but I kind of like the word judgment because it's over and over and over again where Jeremiah is pronouncing judgment on the people of Jerusalem telling them that the Babylonians will be coming in shortly. In fact, follow along with me to the next part of chapter 1. Look with me at verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. This is a wonderful tone that is set throughout this book. Because God is going to use word pictures throughout Jerusalem's, rather Jeremiah's ministry. In fact, you could say of Jeremiah that he would do a wonderful job doing children's sermons because he uses all sorts of props. And later in this book, in chapter 18, God is going to say, hey, there's a guy over there that is a potter. Why don't you go over to his house? 
And Jeremiah is going to walk in. He's going to see him forming clay. And there's a word picture there where God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I am the potter and the clay represents my people and I will shape them the way that I want. In chapter 27 of Jeremiah, there's a time where God says to him, make yourself straps and yoke bars and and put them on your neck. And so here's Jeremiah putting on a yoke that an oxen might walk around with. He is walking around with to illustrate that the citizens there of Jerusalem will one day be in shackles under the bondage of the Babylonians. Another great word picture is that in chapter 24. You see, the whole theme of of Jeremiah is not just judgment, but there is also a ray of hope. In chapter 24, God compares two different figs, good figs and bad figs. And he looks at the bad figs and he says, what use are these? These are like the Israelites who have turned their back in their sin. They are of no use to me again. But then there was another collection of good figs. And God says to Jeremiah, these are going to be my people when they return from exile. They will work good and you'll see I'll work good in their lives. Jeremiah also contains chapter 29, verse 11, a a verse that is often taken out of context that reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah, in his writings also in chapter 31, speaks of a new covenant where God will write his law on men and women's hearts, speaking of the time in which Jesus will come. So there is his calling, and there is, in essence, his message. By the way, he preached for 40 years. How many converts, how many people do you think repented of their sins and became a follower of God as a result of Jeremiah's ministry? If you answered zero, you are correct. He was called to a very difficult life. Let's look at the second chapter or the second theme throughout his life, and that is one of isolation. Isolation. Look with me at Jeremiah, the 16th chapter. And just in the interest of time, I'm just going to read a few verses here from Jeremiah chapter 16. Look with me at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife. Nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. In a time, in an era where many people had large, vast families, Jeremiah was not permitted to get married, nor was he permitted to have children. If we would read the next few verses, we would find out why. It's because there's only going to be pain. There's only going to be deadly diseases poured out on families. It's better off not even to get married and have a family, Jeremiah. Look with me at verse 5. Under this theme of isolation, it says, For thus says the Lord, Do not enter the house of mourning, or go to lament or grieve for them. For I have taken away my peace from this people. My steadfast love and mercy declares the Lord. Not only do I not want you to get married and have children, but when you have a loved one, a friend or a family member, I don't even want you to go to the funeral. I'll give you another one. Look with me in the same chapter at verse 8. You shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them, 
to eat and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. You're not going to have a family. You're not going to go to funerals. And you're not even going to go to weddings. You see, Jeremiah was practicing social distancing before it was even a concept. The life of a preacher can be a lonely one. And he had no wife to come home to and no children to bring him joy. Now you might be thinking, well certainly there were other men in the ministry that he could partner up with, that he could experience some level of camaraderie with, right? Well, there certainly were other men that were priests and prophets, but part of the problem was as they were false prophets. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21, he addresses them when he says, For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore they have not prospered and all their flocks is scattered. Now the word shepherd here is referring to a person that is in ministry. So he is not even able to enjoy good quality friendships with others that are in the ministry. Jeremiah had a tough calling and he was called into isolation, a time of loneliness. Let's consider the third chapter of his life and that is that of opposition. Now when I say opposition, I'm not referring to people not responding to his friend request. Or if he offers a post, they're not offering likes to it. I'm not referring to people that are not responding to his emails or his phone calls. I'm referring to physical opposition. In Jeremiah chapter 20, there is a priest by the name of Pashur that when he hears Jeremiah preach, you know what he does? He has him beaten and put in the stocks. To get a flavor of this opposition that he faced, look with me at Jeremiah chapter 26, and we'll read the first eight verses. Jeremiah 26, verse 1 through 8 reads, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to the cities of Judah, that come to worship in the house of the Lord all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. He is saying, stand in the entryway of the church. And as the people on staff are coming in, and as the leaders in the congregation are coming in, speak my word to them. Look with me at verse 3. And maybe they will listen. And everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened. Then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him saying, You shall die. Now there's been times where I've preached a message and people haven't liked it. 
but I've never had anyone on their way out of church as they're shaking my hand say, you shall die. And this was not an empty threat. They were serious about this. If we follow the opposition of Jeremiah even a little bit further, we can get to chapter 36. We're during the winter months. Jeremiah, he had a secretary named Baruch. And as God would give him words to speak, this secretary would write these words out on a scroll. And one day that scroll was presented to the king. The king there, right there in Jerusalem by the name of Jehoiakim. And as three or four columns would be read from that scroll, the king would take out a knife and he would cut them off the scroll. And because it was cold, there was a fire pot off to his side and he would literally burn the word of God. There was nothing within him that feared the word of God. There was nothing within him to tear his robes out of anguish over his sin or how he was leading his people. He just simply disregarded God's word. In chapter 37 of Jeremiah, we see that he is accused of being a traitor. He is beaten a second time and then he is thrown into prison. And then in chapter 38, and I'd like you to turn there with me, we see what I think is the apex of this humility of opposition. As you look at Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 6, it says, So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Melchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. They literally took the prophet the man of God, the preacher, and they put him down in a well, a cistern. There wasn't water, there was mud. But don't for a moment think that that mud only covered his feet or his ankles. Scholars believe that that mud would have been so deep and so thick that it would likely would have went up to his waist. And there he is in his isolation, in his hunger, in his loneliness, while his enemies stand above him, ridiculing him, and say, preach now to us. There's a blessing that comes when we review some biographies, isn't there? We can think that we are lonely. We can think that we're facing some opposition. And then we can hear about a man of God that was simply following the God's call on his life and say, that doesn't compare to what I am experiencing. Let's consider the the next phase of this. And that's the fourth chapter, and I'm just calling it Candid. Candid. I'm not exactly sure what your experience is with the Holy Scriptures. Perhaps you think these Scriptures are so sterile and so safe. But what we see when we read the Bible is some raw honesty. It's been said, as I've been researching this this week, when one is lonely and hurt, they are very vulnerable. A survey indicated that 80% of those psychiatric patients sought help for loneliness. Loneliness is a leading cause for suicide. Cigna, in its research, has indicated that loneliness is linked to depression, sleep disorders, heart disease, high blood pressure, mental and emotional problems, even substance abuse. Just this last week, I was listening to a podcast from the New York Times called Rabbit Hole. And in it, there was a young man whose name was Caleb Kane. He, he didn't know his dad. He, 
he kind of had a dysfunctional, a, a kind of a broken upbringing. When he went to school, he was quickly made fun of. He, he dropped out of college. He just really struggled getting momentum in life. And while he hit his teen years, something called high-speed internet came out. And while he would play his video games, he discovered that he could get online and find out other people that were socially awkward and he could connect with them. Well, when he dropped out of college, he ended up moving into his grandparents' basement. And there he took in vast quantities of YouTube, the very channel that you're watching us on this morning. He would take in 10, 12, sometimes 14 hours a day on YouTube. And then the podcast switched over to a Google engineer whose prime responsibility was is to increase and retain viewership on YouTube. And as, as well as he did his job, it actually would suck the life out of someone like Caleb Cain. Proverbs 18.10 tells us, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When we are isolated, we tend not to make good decisions. Warren Wearsby, a great Bible teacher, said this, Loneliness is the malnutrition of the soul that results from living on substitutes. Jesus created us to be in relationships. Consider his example. He lived with 12 different men. And when we are isolated, withdrawn from them, we will look to have those needs met through a variety of lesser means. It could be by just binging on YouTube or Netflix or something very unhealthy for us. Consider Jeremiah's candor in the midst of his loneliness. Perhaps you thought he would be be one with this iron disposition. But allow me to read a few verses here. In Jeremiah 8, verse 18, he says, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Or chapter 9, verse 1, he says, All that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. This must be why J. Vernon McKee calls Jeremiah a crybaby of God. And in chapter 15, verse 15, Jeremiah says, For your sake, God, for your sake, I bear reproach. To get a sense of this inner conflict within Jeremiah for yourself, look with me at chapter 20. And let's read a few verses from here. Of this candor, this candidness of this man who's experiencing loneliness and pain. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, look with me at verse 7 and following. O Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has come before me, a reproach and derision all day long. Verse 9, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, 
There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will deceive then when we overcome him and take our revenge on him. It is Jeremiah's desire to offer his letter of resignation. But he can't do it because there is something within him that says, I must speak what God has put into me. And so there is this loneliness. There is this opposition. And there is this pain that Jeremiah is honest enough to communicate to us. As we look through the life of Jeremiah, we see his, this span of life of one who is obedient to God. And, and we can draw from that also some lessons that could be of encouragement to us. So before I get to the last part of the last chapter of Jeremiah's life, let me just give a few helps to you, okay? You can jot these down. These are not in your outline. How did he get out of this? Number one, Jeremiah trusted God even when he didn't understand his ways. Jeremiah trusted God even when he didn't understand his ways. And I'm just saying to you, you can trust God even when you don't understand why you're under quarantine right now. Maybe my favorite chapter in reading this week through the book of Jeremiah was chapter 32. In the opening verses of Jeremiah 32, God tells Jeremiah again, listen, this city that you're living in, it's going to be bulldozed. It's going to be overtaken by the Babylonians. And then he says to him, what I want you to do is buy a field. Go ahead and buy a field. And like a man of God, he goes ahead and buys this field. But as you're reading this, you can't help but think of some conflict. Why would I invest in this land that's just going to be overtaken by the Babylonians? And then in the middle of chapter 32, he offers an honorable, reverent prayer to God that depicts that he trusts God. In fact, there's a phrase there that says, nothing is too hard for you. But you can see what he's getting at. Why do you want me to do this? And then God responds by saying, yes, this land is going to be overtaken by the Babylonians, but there will come a day when my people will return to this land and purchase land again. And I want you to be in on that and provide a foreshadow of that. He trusted God even when he didn't understand his plan. I'll give you a second one, too, I think of help to me, was that Jeremiah directed his emotions rather than allowing his emotions to guide him. What I appreciate about Jeremiah is he's like us. Emotions got to him, and we read about that. But he was not directed by them. He guided those emotions. And I would conclude this. There was a time in my life where I probably would have looked at Jeremiah and I would have taught it this way. Look to Jeremiah. Follow his example. But I'm here to tell you that I don't believe Jeremiah is the hero of his own book. You see, all the scriptures from the Old Testament law to the writings of the Psalms, including the Old Testament prophets, point to the true hero of the Bible, and it is Jesus. 
And as we look to the book of Jeremiah, we actually see a foreshadowing of Jesus here. And for that, I'd like to return you to the cistern. Let us go back to the well in Jeremiah chapter 38. As we consider the last chapter or the last theme here, and that is one of rescue. And I'm going to read in Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 7 through 13. It says here, When Obed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that he had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Obed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern and will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, Take thirty men with you from there, and live Jeremiah the prophet of the cistern before he dies. So Obed-Melech took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe in the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn-out clothes which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Put the rags and clothes be- between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah reigned in the, remained in the court of the guard. This Ebed-Melech serves as a type of Christ. You see where he was. You see that he was right beside the king. He was a eunuch. He was one who had given up the rights and the privileges of remaining next to the king because there was one in a pit that was surrounded by mud that needed to be rescued. And so he devises a plan. He said, let us get a rope. Let us go into a wardrobe and let's get a bunch of rags and we'll allow the rope down in the cistern. That will provide the strength to be able to pull Jeremiah out. But he might be hurting because he's stuck in mud. So instead of pulling his arms out of sockets, let's allow some rags to be lowered down as well. We'll make a rope and we'll wrap that around his body so that we can actually pull him up to get him out, yes, but also to provide some safety and some comfort in doing so. This provides a wonderful picture of the gospel, does it not? We need the rope. We need to share the good news of the rope that will save people from the mud. But we also need the rags of letting it down where we offer goodness and kindness in the process of it. And so we see here in this passage a picture of what Jesus has provided for us. Like Ebed-Melech, which ironically when you try to translate that word, all it means is a servant of the king. We're not even given his proper name. He just simply says, I'm laying myself aside here. I'm leaving the king's side to help one who needs to be rescued. Can you think of anyone else that has done that? In Philippians chapter 2, it says of Jesus that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. We appreciate when people can identify with our pain, do we not? We appreciate when people can identify with us being lonely. 
This past week, as I was thinking about loneliness, I was thinking about songless. And it seems to me that from every generation and every genre of music, there is this tune, there is this note that is played on the theme of loneliness. Think about this one. I get so lonely, I could, I could die. Elvis Presley or Roy Orbison. Only the lonely. Or in the 70s, that, that band America that speaks about this is for all the lonely people. Or if I have to go back to the 80s and I think of Billy Idol dancing with myself. Or this other phrase that I haven't been get out, able to get out of my mind all week. Here I go again on my own. Going down the only road I've ever known. Like a drifter, I was made to walk alone. And, and so there's this theme. I, I appreciate it when a songwriter gets where I'm at. Do you know who else gets where you are at? Jesus. It is said of Jesus in a prophecy in Isaiah 53 verse 3. says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And no one for whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was an outcast. It says there in John chapter 1 verse 11, He, Jesus, came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It was said of his own brothers, his half-brothers in John 7 verse 5, For not even his brothers believed in him. And in Matthew 26, do you remember when Jesus was arrested? What happened? Where were the disciples? According to verse 56, then all the disciples left him and fled. Not just Peter, but all of the disciples left him. And then when Jesus was on the cross, do you remember what he prayed? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that moment that loneliness at a level that has never been experienced was embraced by Jesus, where he took upon himself your sin and mine to be able to go to the mud and to rescue you from your sinful condition. Jesus can identify with your loneliness. And that leads me to the last point then. Meaningful relationships are the antidote to loneliness. Meaningful relationships are the antidote to relationships. What we are created for is a relationship with God. He has made that possible when Jesus came and bore our loneliness upon himself. He bore our sin upon himself. If I were to go back to the very beginning of the message and just outline for you the different causes of loneliness, being rescued by God makes all the difference. Let's consider it this way. Have you been rejected in your past? I got good news for you. God has received you as you are. All that matters is that. You may still be rejected by people, but God has accepted you based on Jesus dying in your place. Another cause for loneliness is insecurity. You might think, I'm not worthy. I got news for you. You are not worthy. And neither am I. Our worthiness is not based on how good we are, or what we can bring to a relationship. Our worthiness is based on what Jesus has done on our behalf. A third cause is grief. Hey, no one can experience, no one can identify with what I'm going through. And that is a lie. 
1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then self-centeredness. When one is rescued from their sins, they no longer live for themselves. They live for God. And they see people as not something to get, but something to give towards. And then sinfulness. When we are rescued from our sins, we're no longer trying to hide our sins. We're bringing it out in the open so we can experience the joy of being forgiven of our sins. And someone might say, okay, well, that's good. But right now we're in a pandemic. We're experiencing isolation and quarantine. What, 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 what can we do about that? Well, the truth is there are still measures. There are still ways that we can stay connected in meaningful friendships. Father, thank you for bringing us back to your word. I thank you for the encouragement we get through the book of Jeremiah. And may, in our loneliness, may we come to you and find our fulfillment and drawing near to you. And then help us as well. If we are not experiencing meaningful friendships with others during this time, help us to take steps to do so. May there be people that would call the church and say, I need to get into a Bible study. I've been missing that in my life. I pray that there would even, even be new groups that would form as a result of just battling this loneliness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.